the market has had what's called a taper tantrum, which I think is a cool name. That's a fantastic. If you're a dad, you should really love that name because it is the correct response for every two-year-old or market maven. Once more under the breach, dear friend. Else fill up the wall with our English dead. Well our done. Gap. Our gap. Do the gap. Living or something. Fill up something. something with. I need, I need, need to research that. You know that spray, great stuff? That probably works better than corpses, but it's we not could, as romantic. Shakespeare never wrote about great stuff. We could have a new spray to fill up holes in the wall called English dead. Nice. It would be very Shakespearean and only nerds would buy it. Yeah. Yeah, but hey, that's that represents us quite nicely. We would buy it, all two of us. Right. So we've got another question. We got questions coming in. It's like people are listening to our program. What What well, are you guys doing that you spend your Saturdays listening to two bald guys talk about stuff like the economy? Can I, before we get to the question, I'd like to note something. Okay. There's a lot of good news in the economy. Uh, we have a lot of evidence that the economy's momentum is good, that there's a lot of huge record quantities of cash out there. Yeah. There are uh, U.S. household income jumped in July. But spending only went up 0.3%. And the funny thing, inflation went up more than spending, which meant we actually had a slightly negative growth in inflation in, in spending in July. Yeah. And that goes along with this, with an article uh, that I that I read uh, the consumer sentiment. And, well, it's, Wait, it's I have to call you out. I have to call you out. You said a what? slightly negative growth. You're, we're economists. We got it. For the rest of the world, negative growth is what they use the word shrink. So occasionally we have to get out of our jargon and say that for July, if you count inflation, spending shrunk. Negative growth. Very slight. Yeah, but you said, you said shrink and then you said shrunk. Yeah. And a shrunk in German is a chest of drawers. Correct. So negative spending is also a chest of drawers in Germany. In German, right. Yeah. Anyway, University of Michigan came out with their Consumer Sentiment Index this week. And it, it I like that, tumbled to 70.2. I don't know if it tumbled, but it dropped to 70.2, which is considerably lower than it was last year, the 86 point something last, last month. And the people who are responding to that survey said that the Delta variant is scaring them. And it's not, apparently it's not scaring them. This is what I found to be fascinating. It's not scaring them so much because the newspapers or the media is saying the Delta variant is scary. People are tired of being told that. More and more people are knowing somebody who died or who got very sick and stayed sick and was rendered invalid. And is that a proper term? Yeah. Incapacitated. Incapacitated yeah. for a long period of time by I COVID. everybody's valid. And they are concerned that the Delta variant is rising at a high rate of speed locally, and it's happening all over the country, and may impact the economy. And so we have the, the consumer sentiment measure, which doesn't necessarily mean anything, by the way. It, except for what people are feeling at the moment. It doesn't necessarily correlate to lower spending in the future or anything else, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's not a leading indicator. It's a, it is a concurrent indicator. It is a, a, an indicator of the present. We saw a slight shrinkage in consumer spending after inflation is considered in July. Then the consumer sentiment index for August comes out. Uh, it was 81.2 in, in, in June. And then it, 
or in in July rather, and then it dropped eighty. It dropped to seventy point two in August. That is the largest drop since they have been measuring consumer sentiment in the end consumer sentiment index, and it's the lowest since two thousand eight when we were coming out of the. I'm sorry, yeah, two thousand eight. I think two thousand eight or two thousand eleven, but we were coming out of the Great Recession. There's there's a and, couple of good reasons for it, by the way. Big big reasons. Number one reason is the pandemic's back. And a lot of people that got vaccinated thought, all right, I'm done. I don't have to worry about it anymore. And for some reason, that was a harder blow realizing that they had to worry about it still than just keeping worrying about it. So being getting that sense of hope and all right, it's done. I'm vaccinated. I don't have to worry about anything. And then getting the vaccine, you're going ahead. And then the Delta variant. And everybody goes, well, we may be back in masks. And my kids could get sick now. And so that, it's like a punch in the gut. And the second punch in the gut is what's going on in Afghanistan. We don't generally, it's not a big impact on our economy, but it does change sentiment. It has been playing on the news constantly. Yep. And I bet none of that news has been, made you want to smile. That changes your sentiment. It really does. When you're upset about something, it changes how you feel. <laughs> you see what I did changes, there? And it changes whether or not you go out and spend money. Correct. So consumer yeah. sentiment dropping is because we just got punched in the gut twice. See how I'm mixing my metaphor with, with a pandemic and punching and a, and a, and a war? It's great. You're, you're, you're really living up to your name. I'm doing my best. Yes. But the point is that we have, we have a speed bump. What I think, at least, and I think you probably agree with me, Jake, is a speed bump in the economy coming, and it's, it's, it's going to be a little bit scary, perhaps, and it may cause a little pullback in the market, although the market certainly responded by rising this week, despite all the worrying, in from worrying news. I kind of think by the end of the year, we'll be through this. Which this? The bad news bears stuff. Right. Which means uh, that as our economy takes off, well, let me kind of... Let's kind of take a step back. What are we talking about here? We're looking around at a massively growing economy across, uh, across the average. There's still parts of the economy that are really, really pained. So the eviction moratorium just got overturned by the Supreme Court. The CDC came out and said, just like before, we're saying you can't get kicked out of your house. The Supreme Court had held before that it may sort of be in the law that they can do that, but we're going to need some kind of act from Congress to really sustain this into the future. Then there was another executive order, this time from Biden rather than from Trump, saying no more evictions. And at the time that he wrote it, based on what the Supreme Court had already said, he was like, I don't think they're going to let this fly. And well, they, didn't. they didn't. They said now evictions can proceed. That's a lot of bumps in the road ahead. This is a, this is, you know, real estate market has been skyrocketing. I don't know how you do that because it's really firmly planted to the ground, but it has been skyrocketing. Uh, see what I'm doing with the metaphors? I'm doing you're it again. Really? You're really doing it. Yeah. Job. So uh, throughout this, we've had almost no negatives in the real estate market. Part of the reason why the real estate market has been going up as fast as this is lack of supply. What does that mean? The lack of people trying to sell their houses. It's because they haven't been foreclosed on or evicted, and which is a normal part of life. Normal part being is if you're not paying your rent, you get evicted. If you're not paying your mortgage, it's going to get a foreclosure at some point. Um, we've gotten now for the past quite a long period of time into a very non-normal situation 
where there's people who simply just have not paid their mortgages or their rents for a while. And when we look at delinquencies, uh, they're, they're going down. People are paying them again, but it, we're still talking like 12.77% of all FHA loans are delinquent right now. That is massive. So some type of relief valve is needed for the banks to continue. The banks are making good profits elsewhere. The part of the market that we have a lot of trouble measuring is the landlord market. We talked about this last week. How landlords, they don't have a conglomerate that reports. Most rental properties are owned by private investors. They're just individual investors that own houses or own duplexes or that's the absolute majority by a large large majority. And so we don't know what that's doing. We've got a lot of anecdotal evidence of people that are in a lot of pain, that are barely making it, that are moving in with parents because the houses that they own, they can't get the people out of and the people that are in them aren't paying, but they still have to pay. So they've got to stop paying. Now, now you see, this is a, this is a ball that gets bigger the more it rolls and it's not snow. It's something stinky. You see what I'm doing with another metaphor? <laughs> the, the, the poo is snowballing is what I'm saying here. And this is, is a disgusting thought. It's a, a disgusting mixed metaphor. You can add that made out of poo. You can add that to my title if you wish. Uh, I am full of this at least once a day. Uh, and uh, it's just an important thing to know. Everybody your, is. Your children would love the concept. Yes. Um, so there's bumps ahead. And when we're, when we're talking about, um, when we're, we're talking about what's coming, you hear us talking about bumps in the road. You hear us talking about what do we expect? How are we, how soon are we going to be through this with quotes around the word, this, the pandemic is not going to be over at the end of the year. That's not what we're claiming here. Our ability to deal with the pandemic is getting better. As much shock to our system as it was, we are actually slowly, in a very uncoordinated fashion, stumbling around to a pretty okay response at the end of this, uh, where enough people are vaccinated and enough people are back in work and enough people are masked. And the supply shortages are worked out because people are figuring out how to continue to live in a different environment. That's what we're saying the this is that we expect to be through sometime around the end of the year, which will not be back to whatever it was before the pandemic. It will just be, we're better at dealing with the situation. Sometime in 2022 is my estimate at this point, and it could be something new happen. You just had an estimate moments ago that I'm explaining that said the end of this year. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. At the end of this year, I think we'll be through some of the major problems. I think as far as normalcy concerns and full employment again and the everything kind of functioning in, in a traditional, more stable asset site, late 2022. It'll okay. take that long. A full year beyond the end of the year to get us kind of... And this is something... Please go back and listen to our radio program in March and April of last year. Come forward again to, to August of last year. Listen to what we were saying about the vaccine and what we expected. Because most people, when they talked about the vaccine, and this is going to wipe it all out, they had a dream instead of reality in mind. We've been talking for this entire time about the advent of the vaccine is very much like what happens with the flu shot. 
we're likely to see these shots for the rest of our lives unless we find something better because enough people aren't vaccinated that it's going to keep coming back. Otherwise, we would have wiped out the flu. I mean, there's lots of different viruses that are the flu, just like there's lots of different viruses that are the coronavirus. Uh, There's a lot of coronaviruses. We've got one, SARS-CoV-2 is the one COVID-19. Well, the 19 means there's 19 of them. And this one is mutating. Well, this is normal. We see this in nature. Unless you wipe out that virus all at once, everywhere where it resides, you continue to have it. You can go back and listen to us in the past to verify that. This is not something that's going to go away. Our sense of normality with it is going to change. Our response to it is going to change. And it's going to change regularly. It's going to change often, whether or not we're wearing a mask, whether or not we need another booster shot, who's available to get the shots, whether the kids get them or all that's going to be changing, but it'll become a more normal part of our lives. And it's not going to cause us all to stop doing whatever we're doing. It will cause us to be more careful about what we're doing. And by more careful, it will eventually just be the same level of carefulness that we've been doing. So getting through this is not meaning that we're putting it behind us. We're still through it. It's still going to be part of us, but make, incorporating it into our lives is what we mean here. And that's something we haven't done yet. The fact that consumer sentiment drops like this when a variant of the virus comes out means that people have unusual expectations, expectations that are not based in reality. The virus is not going to go away no matter how much we vaccinate. We're just protecting ourselves when we do it, when we vaccinate. And that's something that people should recognize because there are going to be people that don't protect themselves and don't protect the people around them. They don't get vaccinated. They don't wear masks. Thus, it's going to be around forever. And I'm not meaning politically. I mean, there's places all over the planet that just don't have access. One of the things that's going on in the economy right now that's practical right now is the countries where they had, where they're philosophy was lock out the virus track everybody places like vietnam right i've discovered that the delta variant moves quicker than they can track and as a result they're having out china's having outbreaks it's yeah okay. it's having an impact on their economy they shut down some ports they've shut um, down major cities are, are being shut down this is very hard to follow it's harder now to follow news in china than it was two years ago a lot harder they have cracked down now, all the sources that i was using for like little feeds They talk about how they can't do that anymore because wherever they go, they're followed by two government employees. That's just, that's the reality of China right now. Anyway, I wanted to get that different. Okay, go ahead. And the rest of the economy, the the core of the economy is running like, I use this term gangbusters a lot. It's running quite strong. We didn't even mention the lead story in the newsletter this week. We didn't. You should. Chairman Powell Basically announced, by the way, they do a Jackson Hole meeting every year. All the financial luminaries from the United States and around the world all go to Jackson Hole because it's August and it's cool in Jackson Hole and it's cool to be there. So it's double cool. Yeah. You're cool if you're there and you're cool if you're there. Yeah. Yeah. And people get a lot of speeches are made, but the most important one is by the chairman of the Fed who basically says, here's what we're looking to do as the year progresses and into the next year. And everybody kind of weights that with bated breath well this year they did it digitally i don't know if they actually did it on zoom i started right they did it on zoom but they did it in sort of in a zoom like fashion if zoom has become like google meaning to search rather than a commercial name then they zoomed it 
Anyway, in the past, when the chairman of the Federal Reserve had said, we're thinking about reduced tapering our asset purchases, which means that there'll be less money in the system. We're pumping, we're thinking about pumping less money into the system. The market has had what's called a taper tantrum, which I think is a cool name. That's a fantastic, if you're a dad, you should really love that name because it is the correct response for every two-year-old or market maven. But instead of falling, which it, is, which it did following the Great Recession that really wasn't all that great in my opinion, when the taper was announced, the market rose. It rose very nicely. And the reason was, and I think this is credit to Chairman Powell, which is one of the reasons I have a lot of confidence in the system right now. He very clearly said interest rate rises are not tied to when we stop the taper. If we stop buying assets in the market, and then what they do is they buy government bonds and mortgage bonds, and that puts more money into the system and increased liquidity, and everybody's happy. People love liquidity in the markets. It's like free money. And it is, in essence, being on uh, a drip in the hospital that's feeding you. If we start reducing that, it has nothing to do with when we're going to raise interest rates. And he suggested pretty strongly that they would stop the taper long before they thought about raising interest rates. Let, let me, let me make some the, metaphors the, here, if you don't mind. Well, let, let me finish this out. Okay. And then you can mix your metaphors. Okay. The point is that the chairman made it very, very clear what he was, what they're thinking about doing into the future, even before they've discussed it at the Federal Reserve officially and published their notes and everything. And it gave a lot of confidence to larger investors in the market. And the people started moving literally out of treasuries at that point, which is why interest rates rose, and into stocks. And the stock market rose 1.52% this week, largely based on one thing faith and trust in the Federal Reserve System and in the chairman of the Federal Reserve. Right. And that is, I, I can't tell you how good that makes me feel. That is just so wonderful that we have somebody in there who uh, has his act together enough that all these sophisticated people watching on Zoom or its equivalent listened to what he had to say, watched him say it, and said, that's cool. I think the economy is going to do better in the future. And this, when faced by the Delta variant and, as you said, by the blow-up in Afghanistan, which, by the way, has zero economic effect on the United States as far as I can, as far as I can tell, the Afghan situation. Yeah. Other than psychological. Yeah. Um, anyway, I just wanted to say that that was the big, that was really the big news of the week. And, and, and let me let me mix the metaphor now, if you okay, don't mind. Mix it. Go uh, ahead it's, and it's stir up. It's not going to be that much mixing. Uh, when you're talking about being in the hospital, the economy of the United States is on life support right now. It's still on life support. We are still um, feeding nutrients into the economy at the federal level that are, in some ways, artificial. It's like coming up with uh, with the drip line. Uh, we've got nutrients flowing in, and if you think of the bond buying as life support, that will help. Raising interest rates is like adding exercise. It will make our economy stronger, but you don't want to do it while we have a gaping chest wound. We don't want to get up and start running around all right, go do three laps out there. Put your heart back in your chest. What are you doing? Put it back in the chest. Exercise starts after we're off the drip. <laughs> That's what run Powell it. is saying. In other words, don't go run a mile while you're on an IV drip. Right. Uh, that would be really awkward. And the economy is starting to get up out of bed. 
It's walking around. It's it's pushing kind, its little IV holder. Yeah, it's pulling the IV tree with it as it's making rounds around the hospital, which is a lot faster than it was going when it was lying in the bed. That's the growth that we're seeing. What's not going to happen until the economy's ready for it is the exercise, the raising of interest rates to make some resistance against our movement, which will cause us to be stronger, but you don't want to do that to a sick person yet. So think of that as physical therapy into the future and then a normal physical regimen, what happens with interest rates, and think of the actual drip being the feed from the Federal Reserve. If our economy was in tip-top shape, was as, as fantastical as it could be, we wouldn't be on that drip. We wouldn't have that bond buying going on. We still have great weaknesses. If we look at South Korea, if we look at Norway, they're not doing bond buying. They are raising interest rates. Uh, we're not there yet. I got a subject I want to talk about. Uh, debt. Debt. Federal debt. Like we haven't but, been but, but handling debt like for the entire hour so this is, far. This is, this, is the, this is the debt hour. Yeah. All right. It's a slow news week. So I wanted to talk about the U.S. debt. And people are afraid of it. And using Japan as an example, I, one of the questions I had, and I, I've read about it and studied about it, and finally think I've got my mind around it a little bit. The Japanese government has borrowed an amount equivalent to about 250% of their GDP, which on the surface sounds suicidal. They owe a lot of money to say, well, let's see, what is it? They they let's see if i can find the numbers here i can look it up if you want to continue anyway the point is they have they 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 only make about 600 billion dollars a year they only have about 600 billion dollars a year and they owe about 10 trillion dollars and if you look at the fact that trying to pay their entire tax revenue to the government is about 600 billion dollars a year and trying to pay off 10 trillion dollars out of part of that 12 12 trillion 12 trillion dollars it looks impossible. It, it, there's no way they'll ever pay off their debt. And the point is, and this is what economists are saying, they probably have the right idea. They exceeded their national GDP. Their, their debt exceeded the GDP 20 years ago, and their economy has continued to be stable and grow, which is pretty darn amazing if you think about it. It runs completely contrary to, my, to our intuitive reaction about money. The problem with our intuitive reaction about money is we think that it is a finite commodity. If you only have so much gold, if gold, if the money, if money, the dollar were based on gold, which it was in 1971. I, I have a statistic I have to throw in here. So you go ahead sure. with the gold thing. I want to I want to tell you a statistic when you're done with that. There's a finite amount of gold in the world. And if somebody takes, if you spend too much money, all your gold goes away and you go broke. But if you're making your own, you're creating your own money as you go. And it's created in in our case in dollars in their case in yen you're not creating it in somebody else's money if you manage that correctly and keep interest rates low you can borrow phenomenal quantities of money and never pay anything interest rates in japan for the for the last 20 years have been effectively zero they're effectively zero in the united states matter of fact they're below zero in effect in the united states because the interest at which the government is borrowing money right now this is one of the weirdest situations in everything I learned about economics when I learned about economics contradicts this. The government is borrowing money mostly, and Jake has the numbers very thoroughly down. I was quite impressed with it. He got, he got them from a guy named Fred. Yes. You have to trust Fred, though. 
but and, and I can tell you those numbers if you wish. But I'll, I'll I also just, tell just, you this. Just a second. I'm going to let you wax eloquent on those numbers. But the important thing is when we borrow money at less than expected inflation, and right now all the way out to the 30-year treasury, when the United States government borrows money, it's borrowing money at lower than future inflation rates. The people who are loaning the government money are paying the government for the right to loan the money to the government. The government, and this is backwards, inside out, upside down, and, and somewhere else, the government is, in, in essence, being paid to borrow money, which makes perfect. I mean, if you got paid to borrow money, why not borrow more money? The other thing is, and this is, is an interesting point about Japan's government debt, the lead, story, the lead line in the Wall Street Journal article on this said half or more of Japan's huge government debt doesn't really exist. A big chunk of our government debt does not really exist. It's just numbers. It has nothing to do with dollars. And I know that sounds really crazy. Yeah, there's some explanation that's required there. And here I'm going to let you wax eloquent about who holds our debt. Okay. Why most of it isn't there. Okay. Or at least a big piece of it that's not there. So the crazy statistic I was going to read out is just when you convert to a different currency, you get some really cool numbers. Like the debt of Japan is 1.2 quadrillion yen. Golly, I love that number. And that's I, a good note. Quad, uh, quadrillion. We finally got a chance to use quadrillion. Yeah, I have not. I mean, I didn't expect to, in an industrial nation, get to use quadrillion very much. But their debt is now in the quadrillions. Uh, our debt is in the trillions. It's not quite there. You get a thousand trillions and you get a quadrillion. Yeah, but their debt is basically, their, their yen is worth roughly a penny on the dollar. Uh, yes, very close. So they're right around, and this this was the quadrillion mark that I was reading is from May. Uh, they're right around eleven and a half trillion U.S. dollars in debt. Where you know that's a lot, but when we look at you were saying some of the debt doesn't exist. And that's not technically accurate, but it's real. It's a real thing. So, uh, how much debt do we have? What's the total debt held um, by the United States government? Um, total debt by the United States government. And this is not to the United States government. So, this is a place where we can say very clearly that debt isn't real. The United States government owes itself a lot of money because they spent Social Security proceeds and Medicare proceeds when the tax revenue was more than we were spending. And they spent it and they wrote themselves IOUs. When people talk about the trust fund for Social Security in 2031 going bankrupt, they're like, oh, that sounds so scary. It's already bankrupt. We don't have the money in a real place. It's not, it's, it's an IOU from the government to the government. It's coming out of other debt now. So just keep that in mind. We are borrowing to replace an imaginary debt to pay Social Security recipients right now and Medicare recipients. Just hold that. That's weird. But it's like saying, I will pay this back to myself at some point. If you decide not to pay yourself back, you're likely not to sue yourself. Just you might, you might be that guy that goes and sues himself but it's you're a rarity if you are so the u.s government owns owes it and owes the debt to itself it owns the debt that it borrowed from itself it's charging itself interest on that debt 
these numbers are kind of, I don't know, they're real, but they're also not real. So how do you how do you charge interest to yourself? Well, it's it's an aspirational thing, and there's no law requiring them to pay themselves back. So if you are not required to pay that law that money back, then the debt's not real. They are paying the money back. Okay, so the debt's real, but you're not required to. Okay, so it's kind of like a debt when you loan a book to a friend. You're probably not going to get the book back, but if you do, you'll be happy. Um, yes. What were you going to say? I'm, I'm interested in hearing the numbers about how much of the debt is held by the Federal Reserve and how okay. much is held by All foreigners right. and how much Here we is go. held by uh, U.S. citizens. So now we're going to get into the debt, the $28.5 trillion. This is from the Federal Reserve, and they track this really well, from the FRED, which is the uh, St. Louis Federal Reserve's database for holding all kinds of cool stuff that economists love. We love FRED. FRED is our buddy. Um. So of that $28.5 trillion, which when you say just $28.5, that doesn't sound like a lot. That's, that's not a big deal. $28.5, right? Trillion, that makes it a big deal. All right, so who holds it? The Federal Reserve holds $5.5 trillion, more than that, but I'm rounding. $5.5 trillion is the Federal Reserve. The interest and will, that and it- And they will require the government to pay them back. Right, because that's part of the Federal Reserve Act. When they own this debt, they're being paid interest by the government on that debt, right? Because they own the debt. It's like you, you loaned money to the, to the government. And then they pay it back to the government. But the Federal Reserve just turns back to the government who just wrote them a check for the interest and writes them exactly the same check back and says, here, you can have this. So when the Federal Reserve is, is charging interest on the loans to the government, it's, that's not real either. So you got to take some portion of our interest payment on that debt and write it off because it's not real. It's really literally coming right back. Uh, the Federal Reserve then owns $5.5 trillion, $5.6 trillion of U.S. government debt that it could forgive tomorrow and would forgive if the government was having trouble paying its debt. So that's not real, but it's real, but it's not real. So who else owns our debt? We hear a lot about uh, foreign debt holders. So outside of the country, more debt is held than is held by the Federal Reserve. But when you look at $28 trillion minus the, or $28.5 trillion minus the Federal Reserve, you're now in the $21.5 trillion. So $21.5 trillion dollars not counting the federal reserve 7.2 trillions held by foreigners so uh 7.2 trillions hold, held by foreigners so who holds that foreign debt some of its government about 60% of that is government debt and you can get a breakdown on that whether it's Japan or China or Japan's the largest holder at the moment China's the second largest but 40% of that debt isn't by a government it's by individuals and banks and private holders of debt. And this is kind of funny. This is me and the word things. The public, debt held by the public is how we talk about humans owning debt in the United States. And that's the vast majority of our debt held by, by citizens of the United States. Um, that is 22 
trillion dollars of our debt is held by the public. You got to take the Federal Reserves out of that because they're considered the public. But all that says is that the vast majority of the debt held by that the owes that the United States owes is owed to us because we own treasuries. For those of you who own money market, use money market funds and using a government money market fund, you're one of those people who've loaned money to the United States government. Right. So when we ask where is the where is the government getting its money, it's getting money from money markets and bonds and and from tax revenue and from interest payments that it doesn't have to pay to the Federal Reserve. So it's like skipping an expense there. And we're about out of time. We actually do give advice to people uh, on the management of portfolios, fiduciary advice even. We get to know people about that. If you'd like to contact us off the air for some advice to you about your portfolio uh, and you have high net worth, the phone numbers to call with voicemail during the weekend, real live people during the week locally is? 254-947-1111. And toll free, you can go 1-800-914-7526 at 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. You can contact us through the contact form or email jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. On the webpage, you can listen to podcasts going way back. You can go to your favorite podcast provider. Until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.